NFL Week 6 Pick Show, and we've got plenty of bets to get to today. But guys, right off the top, we've got fewer games this week, a few teams on by, also tighter lines by the look of it. And last night, the latest reminder, there's no need to force a bet if we don't see an edge. It went to the dog and under in Philadelphia on Thursday night. Chris, just as easily, could have gone to the favorite and the over. I have zero problem with sitting out primetime games, and I can't recommend enough to never force bets just because there's a game on TV. Those are usually the games with the least amount of value. And uh, I've gotten off to a nice start uh, in previous Thursdays. I don't care. I, you know, you just have to push, you know, just like, you know, food you don't need. You know, sometimes you just have to, have to do the pushaways and uh, stay off games. Yeah, Scott, fortunately, a unanimous pass for us on that one. It really could have gone either way right down to the wire. Yeah, and I, I think what's important is sometimes you want to make a play. Uh, that all sounds good until you lose the game, and now all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're 0-2 uh, going into Sunday or something where you could have been 0-0, right? Now you just and, – and all of a sudden, maybe you go 3-2 and on Sunday, but you're really 3-4 and because you had to play a primetime game, and, you know, you can apply it to a Sunday night, Monday night as well, and so – uh, it, it's tempting, certainly, because you want to do something, but uh, usually in the long run, you're better off waiting. And, um, you know, that's how you dig a hole and, and uh, you know, cost yourself money sometimes. So uh, patience is, is great. And um, like we always say, sometimes some of the best plays you make are the ones you don't make. Yeah, well, on that topic of knowing when to pick your spots, we can pull up a full screen graphic for our YouTube audience showing our records to date through the first five weeks of the season. Fortunately, uh, we've we've been able to avoid some of those losing bets more often than not. Chris, 13 and 11. Myself, 9 and 8. Scott, the leader of the pack, 11 and 5. We'll look to keep that going this week as we work through the week six board, including a lot of best bets. A couple housekeeping items before we dig in. First off, for the audience joining us live on YouTube, thanks for being here with us. Please go ahead and give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and go ahead and jump in that chat. Let us know if you have any questions, as well as who you like as we work through the Week 6 board. And if you want to get down on some of those games you like, you can always sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 to collect a 125% sign-up bonus. For more information on that offer, check out the link below this video. And guys, let's get to the Week 6 board. Starting bright and early on Sunday morning, another London game kicking off at 9.30 Eastern, Miami at Jacksonville. And we've got the Dolphins laying three, a total of 47. That number has been steamed over the course of the week. But, Chris, it's a side you're looking at in this one. Well, this is the first time I've had a chance to say this. It's, re it's really easy. Uh, don't bet bad teams. But the caveat is unless you're getting points from other bad teams. So that's not a written in stone rule. But, uh, boy, that uh, is – a uh, first consideration when betting teams that uh, just are not that good. Does either team belong laying points is my first consideration. Miami is number 32 in the league for me. They've been number 32 in the league for several weeks. They do get back to a, uh, but they still have big injury problems. Uh, it, I certainly worry about Jacksonville's motivation, the Urban Meyer situation, but I can't, I, I, listen, I can't be the psychiatrist. I can't, I'm not in the locker room. I can only use the information that I have. And the data says that Jacksonville is the better team here and they're getting points. So uh, I, I do like Jacksonville in this spot. Scott, it seems like not quite the same bet for you, but you'd be leaning Chris's way. Yeah, I'm leaning their way. Uh, you know, 
the one thing to know here, Jacksonville has been much better at applying pressure than Miami. I'm just looking at the numbers here. They're First of all, they're ninth best in allowing the fewest pressures, so they don't allow people to get on their quarterback. Miami is 10th worst in applying pressure. Translation, Jacksonville should have an ability to throw the ball here a little bit. There are some corner uh, question marks for Miami from an injury standpoint. Uh, and then Miami is 25th worst in allowing sack percentage, so they're, they're getting pressure on Tua or, or Brissett, whoever's been playing quarterback. And Jacksonville, surprisingly enough, is 11th in applying pressure. So um, I think they have an ability to possibly apply some pressure to Miami. And for the most part, they've kept that pressure off. They are playing without their center, uh, Brandon Linder. Uh, so we'll see how that impacts them. But I think they should be able to have a, the ability and the chance to at least move the ball in this game. Yeah, and I hear you guys both giving a good look to Jacksonville. Chris betting the Jags. Another note in that favor would be that Miami's offense last week, again, less than 23 minutes of possession. They only managed to run 51 plays. A lot of uncertainty around Tua, probably making his return, but what are we going to see out of him? So overall, I can't trust either team. I'm going to go ahead and pass this one. And that takes us on to our next game on the board, getting into the 1 p.m. Eastern window. Houston traveling to Indianapolis. And the Colts, despite that 1-4 record, a big favorite in this one, minus 10 total 43 and a half and Scott tell us how you see this one going down on Sunday in Indianapolis yeah and, and just I want to throw in one other point in that Jacksonville game real quick too sorry Matt is that winless teams are very profitable bets beginning in week six now there's some other parameters of that as well uh, but Jacksonville does set up a uh, set up in a, a pretty good situation favoring them as well um, with, with this game this is a big line and uh, do I do I want to bet Houston you know Probably not, but I, I will tell you, these teams are very close to each other in, in different, many different metrics. Uh, just one of them, for example, they're 30th and 31st in net success rate in the league. So uh, yet we have a 10-point line here um, that to me is probably not justified. I made the line just under seven points in this game. Um, and, you know, just from that standpoint with all these different metrics where these teams are very, very similar to each other, I'm not sure how we get a justified line of 10 points in this game. So yeah, are you it, betting are you betting Houston? I'm not necessarily betting them. Um, but when I when I look at these games, uh, I will either use it to keep me off of a side, um, in this case, Indianapolis, or you know, maybe possibly I put a little flyer on Houston. But um, I, I and, and let's remember last week, Detroit at Minnesota, Indy qualifies in a lot of really bad negative situations that play against large favorites that are average to below average teams. That, that set well with Minnesota and uh, playing Detroit last week. And it applies here again. I, I, I won't go against that stuff, Chris. I don't necessarily have to be on it, but I certainly, it, it's something that'll keep me off of one side for sure. Well, you're three points off. You're talking me into Houston and you don't even play them. It's so disappointing. Well, here's my problem with it. It's Davis Mills on the road, right? That's, that, you know, and I'm trying to grasp that. But I'll say this, too. Like, when I start to look at the, the numbers that he has, which are bad numbers, but in relationship to the teams they've played, yeah, they're still bad. They're not awful, though. And this will be, by far, the easiest defense he has faced at this point, especially if the Colts have this uh, injury problem in the secondary. They played Carolina, New England, and Buffalo. Those are all much, much better defenses than uh, the Colts are going to bring and show him on Sunday. Chris, it sounds like you want to play on Houston, especially after Scott's analysis, but what's keeping you off of the Texans for now? 
Oh, I I have Indianapolis rated uh, uh, a, a lot higher. You know, I'm looking. Indianapolis played Seattle, the Rams, Tennessee, Baltimore, uh, all quality offenses, yet they still rate right around just outside the top 10 defensively somehow in my rankings. Uh, so I, I don't have them. Uh, I don't have I couldn't possibly be in Houston's way. That's why I was surprised that uh, Scott's numbers came the other way. Uh, you know, when we're seeing this. Uh, uh, Indianapolis support because this line did come down to nine and went back up to 10. And, and there's talk that it may even uh, go past the 10, which is kind of surprising because I didn't think my numbers would be uh, reflective of what the market would actually do. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sit this one out altogether. I like to think of it as perhaps the special team special, if you will, in week six, because if we look at what the Texans did last week, two miss extra points, a kickoff out of bounds, a zero yard punt, and then go figure, Dave Coley decides to go for a 56-yard field goal attempt on a key fourth and four that ended up swinging the game. You couldn't see that coming with Bill Belichick, giving what you present to him on a silver platter. But I'm not sure the Colts are too much better on special teams. They missed an extra point last week. They had a field goal blocked. They missed the game-winning field goal attempt at the end of regulation. So a lot of weird stuff happening in the kicking games here. And with teams like this, I'm happy to move along and try to find value elsewhere on the Week 6 board. I see uh, I see value with Indianapolis going forward though. They're getting healthier and they're a, they're a good team. And believe it or not, it, they were only supposed to be 2 and 3 coming out of week 5 anyway. So they're one game behind where they were supposed to be. And while Tennessee's uh, okay, they're not that good. You know, so far now they've had their own injury concerns and stuff, but Tennessee's not that good of a team. And they have not played as well as people thought that they would. So I actually took a, wanted to take a shot at Indianapolis to win the division. Uh, and the best I could find was like plus 270, plus 280. And instead, I found Tennessee will not make the playoffs at plus 425. Now, the reason I mention this is if you're looking for certain futures and certain props, sometimes exactly what you want to bet isn't going to get you the best number. But as I found in my Tennessee, there's there's nobody else from the division that's going to make the playoffs. if And... Uh, if Tennessee beats Indianapolis in two weeks, well, the, the division bet is done anyway. So same difference, but different way to bet it. So always look at different ways to get to what you want to bet also, because there may be uh, just different types of bets available to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I, and I would just, I, I agree with you. First of all, they're gonna, you know, I don't know what their schedule looks like. I'd have to look at that, but they're going to get T.Y. Hilton back here pretty soon, hopefully. Hopefully they shore up the secondary. And I would say that game on Monday night, this looked like for the first time this year, really in my mind, uh, somewhat of an Indianapolis Colts team that we expected. So I, I agree with you on that, Chris. Uh, Wentz looked okay, right? And they look like they could be something going forward here. I kind of like what you did there with, with the bet. Yeah, Tennessee could lose five games in a row here very easily, and, and Indianapolis hits their soft spot. So, it, it, you know, this is assuming Indianapolis beats uh, Tennessee, obviously. So. Yeah, nice outside-the-box way to look at things to extract the most value from essentially the same bet because, like you said, we're probably not going to see a wildcard team coming out of the AFC South. And speaking of division winners, guys, a big matchup in the NFC North. This will be for first place. Not that the Bears are seen as too much of a contender at this stage, but the Packers taking on Chicago, laying six on the road, total at 44. And, Scott, the Packers are your team. How do you see this one going down at Soldier Field? 
Well, uh, I would say this, you know, Chicago is pretty bad in creating big pass plays. Matter of fact, they're worst in the league in generating big pass plays. Green Bay is fifth best in the league in creating big pass plays. And I'll just say this, road teams that create more big pass plays, more explosive plays generally do pretty well. So that just that little scenario sets up well for Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay has been pretty good at limiting the big pass plays. They're fourth in the league. Now, we know Alexander's out. Maybe that changes. But again, I don't know how it changes this week um, because the Bears have just not been very good at, at generating big plays. And the Bears are also worst in a league in allowing sack percentage, um, and they're fifth worst in a league in applying pressure. So, all right, they're not going to put pressure on Aaron Rodgers, and they allow pressure on their own quarterback. Yeah, Fields is a little bit mobile. He can get out of some of that stuff maybe, but um, that doesn't bode real well for him. And, look, we said this in the preseason, and we, we've said it uh, just about every week. They are great, or I should say very good against bad teams, and they are very bad against good teams. They've lost by 20 to Cleveland and 20 to the Rams this year. Um, it just seems hard to believe that, um, you know, they, they can beat Green Bay in this game. The Packers' rush defense is not very good, though. So they have a little bit of hope there, even though they're kind of banged up um, at the running back spot for the Bears. But I make the number here, just trying to see it, 4.4. Uh, so it's right there and predict uh, project 46.2. But I think it's favorable for Green Bay in this game. Yeah, Chris, one thing Scott touched on, a possible matchup edge for the Bears and the ground game. But with the injury bug, it might be tough for them to fully capitalize. Yeah, they're still going to have problems with, with injuries this week. And uh you know what? I'm just dying for a nice spot to uh, bet against Green Bay. And Agreed. this just isn't the spot because uh, I, I think the Raiders kind of quit uh, last week. And, and, you know, Chicago's looking. I just can't trust anything with Chicago at the moment. But I do like the fact that uh, the play calling is switched. It's not going to surprise me in the least if somehow Chicago pistol whips Green Bay. Uh, I, I I don't have Green Bay rated highly. I am looking for a solid spot to bet against them. I just don't feel comfortable with the Chicago team with as many issues as they have uh, going into this game. Yeah, you touched on one of the key factors when I looked at this game for the first time. Chicago was probably in a good spot that we didn't know was a good spot heading into last week's game yeah. against the Raiders with everything swirling with John Gruden's status. And on the flip side, I think the Packers might have been on the wrong side of variance in Cincinnati if you look at the fact that Mason Crosby missed an extra point as well as three field goals. They only went two for five scoring touchdowns in the red zone. The Packers did outgain the Bengals by almost two full yards per play. And if they can do that again in Chicago, got to like their chances here. But at this number, it seems like that's pretty well accounted for in the line. So I think, you know, just like we talked about off the top, if there's no big edge, no need to necessarily make a bet in this one. It should be a good NFC North showdown. And we can move on to the next game on the board. Kansas City traveling to Washington to take on the football team. And the Chiefs, a big road favorite in this one, laying the touchdown. But that is it even money. So some extra juice if you want to take Washington plus the points. Total at 54 and a half. And Chris, how do you see this one going? It seems like you've got a bit of a lean in this one. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier that the 2000 Rams were the number one offense of all time at 7.0 yards per play. And Kansas City's defense is so bad that they're giving up more than that, 7.1 yards per play. And we've been hearing a lot about that. And 
you know, some, you know, a lot of people are, are off this Kansas City bandwagon. And as bad, as poorly as Kansas City's played, and and I've been making money betting against them, uh, uh, they're not for dead. Uh, they're going to be fine. The, the, you know, this has been a tough stretch for them. I mean, any team, you know, would struggle like this uh, uh, through a schedule like this. So, I, I haven't. The, the, this Kansas City offense is unbelievable. I mean, they ran into a buzzsaw with Buffalo last week, but. I mean, they should feast on this Washington defense. They should literally punish them the whole day long. Now, my actual numbers don't say that they're a play, but you really have to twist it. And, and logic just says, how the hell is Washington going to stop them? And Heineke, he's kind of been discovered, so to speak. There's film on him now, and they figured out how to stop him, and he really hasn't done as well as we thought he might have. I mean, he's still serviceable. Uh, he's not screwing up, but uh, I, I can't see Washington keeping up with Kansas City in this situation, and, and I'd like to. My head says bet Kansas City under a touchdown uh, for sure, but my metrics don't support it at this point. Scott, kind of like the last game, a lot of advantages that Chris touched on for the heavy road favorite, but for the home dog, it could possibly come down to what they can do on the ground game against a beatable defense that they'll be going up against. Yeah, and I, you know, to, to Chris's point too, Matt, you know, I made the number 5.4, so there's not value in Kansas City, but from a matchup standpoint, sometimes that, you know, says something else. And so can, uh, we know Washington can run the ball, and we know Kansas City can't stop the run. They can't stop anything really, but um, so that's advantage Washington. But the problem there is Kansas City is going to be able to throw the ball. Like Chris said, I think, there's so much attention on this Kansas City defense and how bad it is. People are losing sight just how good this offense is. And that game last week was more about Buffalo uh, in their defense than Kansas City's offense. And Kansas City can throw the ball. Washington can't stop the, the pass. And most of the time, good passing is going to beat good running in this league. That's just where we are in the NFL right now. So I think that makes it tough for Washington to be able to do anything. Kansas City, uh, you know, I think this could be a high-scoring game. I made the number 56 points, but obviously the total is very high, so it's hard to get over. But the Chiefs allowed 29 or more points in every game this year, but they've scored 33 or more in every game except for the two against Buffalo and the Chargers. And ironically, the only games that, you know, Washington hasn't scored a bunch of, uh, a bunch of points in are Chargers, Buffalo, and then also New Orleans, who's um, – who's a, a pretty good defense as well. But they've scored 30 and 34 against Atlanta and the Giants. So I think it could be pretty high scoring, but uh, I think the matchup here favors Kansas City. Yeah, I'll make it another lean to the Chiefs. I think the biggest factor when I look at this team this year is the turnovers are starting to get comical. It seems like every week they're not just losing the turnover battle, but they're losing it by a pretty big margin. I don't see how that's sustainable in the long term. So I think the Chiefs are due for some positive regression in the turnover department. For their defense, this is a step down in class. They've probably taken on the four best offenses in the AFC outside of their own over the first five weeks of the season. So, yeah, not a good defense, but probably not as bad as what we've seen so far. I will be curious to see any news we can get on Tyreek Hill as kickoff approaches. Of course, he's a big piece to that dynamic Chiefs offense. Yeah. Moving on to the next game on the board, Minnesota at Carolina. And the Vikings opened as a bit of an underdog, but they've taken a lot of money since then up to minus two, minus 115, total 46. And Scott, you're in play with a teaser involving this game. Yeah, I, uh, 
you know, both these teams are actually top 10 in passing defense success rate, which is a little surprising for me. Um, and both these teams are top two in pressure rate, which I think is, is uh, you know, you just, I, I wouldn't have expected that either. But, and I made the number about one and a half. That'll change uh, in favor of the Vikings, by the way. Um, that'll change if McCaffrey plays. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I do lean under in this game, Matt. I made the number about 42, 42 and a half points. Um, but I like Carolina in a teaser here. Partly, they, they qualify in a really good situation that plays on home underdogs coming off a loss as a favorite. They lost to the Eagles last week as a favorite. And that is a situation that has done extremely well year after year after year. So getting the Vikings, or I'm sorry, the Panthers here over a touchdown uh, in a game that I think is going to be low scoring, um, I think is is some decent value here. And I think worthy uh, of a teaser play uh, in this game. Yeah, I'm leaning that way with you. And before I decide whether to pull the trigger, I need to ask Chris, what's up with these offenses? Because a couple of weeks ago, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had the Vikings as the number one offense in the league based on your metrics. And then the past couple of weeks at home, they haven't looked so hot. And as far as the Panthers go, same thing. After three weeks, we thought Sam Darnold escaped the clutches of Adam Gase. Maybe he was a lot better than we would thought we'd seen from him with the Jets. And now he seems to have reverted back to his old form these past couple of weeks. So what do you make of these two offenses with the Vikings and the Panthers? Uh, well, Carolina goes by way of McCaffrey. You know, McCaffrey reminds me of somebody that belongs in the NBA because because one of the most frustrating things about betting the NBA is trying to figure out who the hell is going to be playing each night. <laughs> and it just it's just infuriating. And, and McCaffrey... Uh, for the last two seasons, you just never know whether this guy is going to play. And they always dangle the carrot. I mean, last week they dangled the carrot all week long. You know, he was at practice, blah, blah, blah. Now this week it's the inverse. What what happened? So I'm starting to wonder whether they were playing games last week to try to make, you know, it look like he was going to be in when they knew he wasn't. And now they're making it look worse this week. And he's going to be a game-tying decision. And all of a sudden, miraculously, he's going to play. So... Uh, it, it's not going to surprise me in the least. It just seems like a smart move to make, uh, you know, but the, you know, Cook hasn't been playing for Minnesota and he makes a big difference. It'd been banged, you know, Thielen's been banged up and that affects both of the teams. I don't see an edge either way in this game. At this point, I had this game at a, at a pick uh, Carolina minus a half. Uh, but if McCaffrey's in a, and uh, Carolina is getting points. I'll be all over Carolina. Yeah, they say running back doesn't matter these days. But of course, when we're talking about guys like McCaffrey and Cook, they can have a meaningful impact. So a bit more wait and see on some injury news out of both of these backfields. Moving on hey, to the next game. On, oh, go ahead, Scott. Uh, Matt, I was just going to add one other thing. The Vikings are coming off three straight home games here, too. So we haven't seen Minnesota on the road in a while. That is a, a spot where they've struggled a little bit from time to time. Um, and remember, there are two road games this year. They've allowed 27 and 34 points um, at Arizona and um, uh, at Cincinnati. So uh, I'm not suggesting necessarily that Carolina is going to do that. But, you know, I, I like to try to find teams sometimes that have been playing in one situation, in this case at home, three times, three weeks in a row. And you kind of forget how this team kind of stumbles sometimes on the road and vice versa because there's a there's a perception about the team. And um, and people are very easily to forget, you know, uh, the other side of that. So uh, we might pick up a little bit of value just from that standpoint, too, because we have not seen Minnesota on the road where they're not always a, a great team either. 
I really hope that McCaffrey plays. It, there's a there are so many people that are holding Monday's newspapers already, and I'm pissed that they have it because they're betting Minnesota like the game's already been played. And if McCaffrey's in, I don't see Minnesota winning this game. Yeah, we'll have to keep a close eye on his status as kickoff approaches in Carolina. And we've got another big showdown on the East Coast with the Chargers heading to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Baltimore currently a two and a half point favorite, total at 51 and a half. And Chris, you're in play on a side in this one. Yeah, I, 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 I like Baltimore in this situation. I think uh, things have just been going too rosy for the Chargers. But that's not the reason. My metrics have Baltimore a solid play here. Uh, and But there's lots to worry about uh, because the Chargers are on a roll, and I don't like to step on, in front of teams on a roll. And uh, Baltimore's off the Monday night uh, game, and frankly, they probably didn't deserve to win that game. But, boy, their offense is firing on all cylinders. And this one's going to be a little different because uh, – I, I, you know, Jackson's going to be a little bit more limited in what he's going to be able to do. But uh, I think, uh, you, you know, and I, I also want to revisit what I brought up on Tuesday. If they're going to be going for it on fourth down from their own 27-yard line, and they're going to be going for twos, and they're going to be really having this perspective of, we don't care if we lose by 20, you know, 21, or we lose by one. It's it, It's the same difference. These are opportunities when you can start to look into maybe finding more value in alternate lines. So if you like, like for me, I'm going to be looking for, you know, something that pays me good money. If Baltimore wins by more than the two and a half that they're currently favored, you know, I want to see how much they're going to pay me minus six and a half minus seven and a half, because if the chargers are down, and they're going to they're going to go through all their downs and they may do it in their own zone and Baltimore can capitalize on that. So, it, you know, it's going to cause more variance in the final scores. I think that points exactly why I'm leaning toward teasing the Chargers, but it's just a lean for me at this point, because to your point, Staley, same difference. If you lose by one or 21 or 31, it's all about, as Herm Edwards said, playing to win the game. And, you know, that might take away some of the value in teasers. You see in a two and a half point underdog, it's almost an automatic look for a lot of betters to go up through three and seven. But those key numbers aren't quite as key um, when we have coaches who could be going for it instead of kicking field goals that they'd probably make or going for two instead of kicking extra points. So some of these key numbers will be worth keeping a closer eye on in Chargers games over the foreseeable future. But I am in play on this one when it comes to the total. And I like the over 51 and a half. When it comes to fourth down, again, both of these coaches get it. I think for the Chargers, we have to accept that the results they've been getting are unsustainable. They've just been running white hot on fourth downs lately. But the process seems to be pretty sound. And if they convert, they keep the drive alive. If they fail, they give the ball to the other team, often in good field position. Either way, that bodes pretty well for the over. And looking at both passing games here, we've seen the Ravens pass game evolving over the last couple of weeks, and they might get first round draft pick Rashad Bateman back in the fold this week. On the other side, Justin Herbert has been doing really well against the Blitz, and we know the Ravens like to Blitz. I'm particularly intrigued with the matchup of Austin Eckler out of the backfield, probably getting matched up on Patrick Queen, a linebacker for Baltimore, who, uh, let's just say, hasn't exactly impressed in pass coverage against running backs like Eckler. So I like some good matchups on both sides of the ball. And one more point on this total, when it comes to the pace, both of these teams 
in neutral game situations, above average when it comes to their tempo. So if we see more plays, that could certainly bode well for the probability of more points. But Scott, you're our totals expert here. So what do you think of uh, the total as well as the side on Sunday in Baltimore? Well, my, my numbers would support the total with Yamada, make it 52.9. And um, I think this is, you know, we saw this on Monday night, and it's it's something to just think about in some of these games in that what happened with Baltimore, they got down and they had to start throwing the ball. And obviously they're very good at running the ball, but Indianapolis took that away. Indianapolis is actually a pretty good run defense, and they took that away. And then Baltimore just had to start firing the ball all over the place. Indy lost some people in the secondary. But that took that game to another level from a point standpoint uh, just because it forced them into something else, and they were very good at it. If this game is competitive and all of a sudden they start throwing the ball again, uh, you know, possibly, uh, you know, they could have see some more points and a little bit different dynamic. Obviously, the Chargers are, are pretty good uh, in terms of defending the big pass plays, but it is a matchup, I think, favorable for Baltimore. Baltimore, uh, just looking here, they are in the top 10 basically running, and the Chargers are very, very poor in, in defending the run. And in some ways, this is kind of like the Cleveland game from last week. Cleveland can run the ball. Chargers can't stop the run. Cleveland ran it on them. Um, on the flip side of that, Baltimore is allowing a fair amount of pressure uh, on their quarterback this year, and the Chargers do bring a lot of pressure. So it might be a little bit of an advantage there for the Chargers. But uh, my numbers say 3.1, 52.9, uh, no play for me, but it would support slightly Baltimore at 2.5 and, and certainly uh, support the over a little bit as well. All right, so Chris on the Ravens, myself on the over, and Scott leaning Chris's way with the side, my way with the total. So hopefully we can see that come to fruition on Sunday in Baltimore. That game could be a barn burner. Not sure if we can say the same about the next one on the board. It's Cincinnati heading to Detroit, and the Bengals, a pretty decent-sized road favorite here, laying three and a half, total 47. Chris, what do you make of the prospects for your Lions heading into this one? Well... You know, we've got the crying coach, Dan Campbell, uh, and you would think an 0-5 coach would, uh, that's, that's crying in a, in a presser would be uh, having one foot out the door. But a, a poll taken by the media had uh, asking, do you support Dan Campbell or not, had a 96% support rate, uh, uh, which was even higher than a poll they had taken uh, weeks ago. Uh, so uh, the, the town loves this guy. Uh, they really like this team, and uh, the Lions are becoming lovable losers. Uh, it, you know, they've just been buried with injuries, and everything just works against them, and somehow they're just like the Energizer Bunny that just keeps on ticking. And uh, They've been in every game some way, somehow uh, this season. So I, I, I like Cincinnati. I think this is a rough spot for them. I think everybody's going to be gravitating toward taking, you know, three and a half. I don't, you know, is Cincy good enough to go into Detroit uh, and win by four? That's a, that's a tough call. I mean, I don't see any value in, in, in laying Cincinnati in this situation because the Lions are darn hungry and, uh, but they've got their problems. And, and if Cincinnati could brings their a game, you know, they can they can more than cover this spread. But I, I think when you know the home team is going to have maximum effort the entire time, I'm going to side with the home team getting the points. But I'm not going to pull out my wallet on this game. Yeah, likewise for me, it's just a lean for me the Lions way because we know they, they just don't stop competing. They've been relentless in that sense and can at least give them credit for that regardless of 
the amount of talent or lack thereof across the roster. But Scott, when it comes to this matchup, one thing you see, the Bengals' propensity on offense to generate some pretty big passing plays. Yeah, Bengals, uh, they're eighth best in the league in, in creating big pass plays. The Lions are dead last in the league in giving up big pass plays. Go back to that statement I made, I think, in the Packer game, when road teams are, can out-throw in, in terms of explosive plays the home team, that usually bodes pretty well. I make the number 5.4. To Chris's point, though, Cincinnati's only won one game by more than three points this year. So, um, you know, can they win by margin, which is what they're going to have to do in this game? We'll see. Uh, Lions lost a, a, a decent receiver last week. They might get Taylor Decker back this week on the offensive line, which will help them. It doesn't them. look good for Decker. No? You don't think so? Okay. So uh, scratch that then if he doesn't come back. But um, And here's the other thing with the Lions. Yes, they've been competitive, but they, they scored 17 points again last week. They've now scored 17 or less points the last four weeks after scoring 33 in kind of that comeback fashion against the 49ers. So can they score enough points here? I just see these um, these receivers for Cincinnati kind of running all over the secondary. I will say this, lines have been decent in pressure this year, and we know Cincinnati allows pressure. We saw that last week from Green Bay as well. So that is one way I guess maybe Detroit could compete in this game. But um, just from a matchup standpoint and a little bit of value, uh, looks to be on Cincinnati. I do make the number 40, about 44, so slightly into the under here. And again, if the Lions can't score, then this game possibly could go under the 47 points as well. Yeah, we've got a question in on this game from the live chat. I'll be curious to see if Chris has any strong thoughts as the Lions fan. Who would you rather have as a head coach, the Bengals' Zach Taylor or the Lions' Dan Campbell? Well, I'd, I'd, you know what, I'd, I'd roll the dice with uh, with Campbell, even though he's unproven. I, I want somebody that's got passion and heart and, and the support of the commands of respective players, and uh, he's getting more out of nothing uh than i see a lot of other coaches able to do so uh you know but you know you, you they're both unproven so it's it's really apples and oranges and kneecaps <laughs> yeah hey, hey, <laughs> matt i would say this too and i'm very guilty of this you know yeah detroit's not a good team necessarily but they got a quarterback who's functional and, and jared goff and you know unlike a, a houston with david mills who Davis Mills, who who knows what we're going to get out of that. At least Goff is capable. And, you know, I think that's played into, you know, why they've been a little bit competitive here, too. And so I'm very guilty about kind of forgetting who they have at quarterback. Who, and, it, and it's funny because we criticize Goff for so long at the Rams. But in this role, he's actually helpful to this team, I think. Yeah, Goff, when things are set up well for him, can be more than adequate. And speaking of his former team, the Rams, they're involved in the next game on the board that we can dig into now with the Rams traveling to take on the Giants, laying double digits on the road, but it's a plus 105 attached to that minus 10 for the Rams, total 48 and a half. And Scott, you've got your set, you've got your sights set on that total. Yeah, uh, I made the number, uh, I think about 50 or so in this game. So not a ton of value on the over, but I'm going to play the over more so on the matchups. And um, quite frankly, to you know, to be honest, uh, personally, I will wait in this thing a little bit just to see what the outcome is from some of these giant injuries. Uh, but obviously, we're doing the show on Friday. Um, you know, from the Rams are number one in the league and not allowing sack pressure. Uh, and the Giants, they can't get to the quarterback. So number one, the Rams should have all day to throw the ball uh, against this Giants team. And should be able to move and score points in this game. So I don't think there's any problem there. But kind of sneaky, the Rams are, are the eighth best team in the league in net 
uh, offensive pass success rate. So if they and I'd like to have Daniel Jones, but if it's Glennon, you know, not the end of the world. I'm really more interested in see who plays from the receiver standpoint uh, because the Rams aren't that good. They're third worst in net defensive uh, uh, pass success rate. So they have the ability to give up some some plays in the in the passing game. So if the Giants can get you know some guys healthy here, especially at the receiver position, I think they at the very least they could just score in um, uh, at the end of the game when they're down by a whole bunch of points and it doesn't matter because I think the Rams are definitely going to get their points. And by the way, if this number for some reason would come down into a teaser range where you could get a six-point teaser down under three, I would definitely consider teasing uh, the Rams uh, in this game as well. Yeah, it might take some news on Daniel Jones to see that kind of line movement. And I think that something we saw last week as we were recording some breaking news, Teddy Bridgewater being cleared. Chris, keep us uh, informed if you see anything similar with Daniel Jones, because right now it's just a pass for me. Too many Giants injuries to uh, try to sift through at the current situation. What do you make of this one and what would it take to give you any sort of strong inclination one way or the other? Well, uh, touching base back on a game we just covered, McCaffrey is listed as doubtful, unfortunately, so we'll never get to see what would have happened. Uh, I, that would have made things interesting. So uh, that line's kind of scooting up a little bit. Um, as far as the Rams game goes, uh, boy, you know what? I, I pass. I, I, this has so many so many issues involved with it, and, 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 and you know, the Giants have been showing uh, – a lot of promise on offense recently and you're basically essentially just throwing up players up in the air and seeing who lands and is available to play this week and you, you can't handicap like that uh, my money is better spent on uh, you know more reliable information and such scott already touched on all the other highlights if somehow miraculously this game got lower you'd obviously want to you know consider the rams in a teaser but I, I just don't have uh, the inclination to take either side or any uh, or the total here. Yeah, no harm with passing this one. That can tie a bow on the early slate on Sunday. And we can call a quick timeout here for our YouTube audience joining us live. Thanks for being here with us. We'd appreciate it if you could give our video a quick thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. And again, feel free to jump in that chat, fire in any questions or any thoughts you have as we work our way down the week six board. And with that, we'll move right along to the late window on Sunday. Arizona traveling to Cleveland. And the Cardinals are the undefeated team, but it's the Browns who are the decided favorite here. This line's up to three and a half, minus 105 big attached to the Browns, laying the hook. And the total, 49 and a half. We've seen the under get steamed this week with some weather concerns, also some concerns about Kyler Murray. And Chris, even with those Kyler Murray concerns, you can't help getting involved on a side in this matchup. Yeah, well... Nick Chubb's going to be out of this game, and this is where they were supposed to, you know, wreak havoc on uh, the uh, Arizona defense. Uh, you know what? This is a horrible situation for Arizona. It's going to be raining. Uh, it might be windy. Uh, uh, Arizona hasn't lost a game. Cleveland off of a bad loss. But, you know, I, I can't, like I mentioned before, I can't be a psychologist. I can't catch the falling knife of exactly when a team's going to stop winning. Arizona's doing what they can to win these games. And they don't always look pretty, but I see value here. I, there's just no way that Cleveland has played three and a half points better than Arizona. This is, you know, there's value here. Now, 
am I jumping up and down and really happy about it? Does my brain, do my lying eyes tell me Cleveland should roll at home? Of course it does, but the, but that doesn't win. So my metrics say Cleveland uh, doesn't deserve to be favored by this many. And I think Mayfield's been exposed. He, I think there's a confidence issue there. That last drive was an embarrassment. He's been ridiculed on it. You know, he couldn't find the sidelines. He's dinking and dunking with a minute to go in the game. He, he's just not getting something. So if uh, with Chubbs out, that helps out Arizona. And hopefully Murray is not too banged up because if he is, well, then that's bad news for my wallet. Yeah, I've got a quick follow-up for one of the points that you made, uh, kind of crediting the Cardinals, of course, for finding ways to win games. And and we have to give credit where it's due for a 5-0 and start. Certainly the Cardinals have been good to start the season. But I also feel like they've been pretty fortunate. So, Chris, I want to see what you make of the fact that their fourth down defense is basically the equivalent of the Chargers' fourth down offense. We touched on that, just running unsustainably hot of late. The Niners, just one of five on fourth down against the Cardinals last week, including a huge goal line stand early in the game. And the Niners had six drives into Arizona territory without scoring a point. So possibly some regression coming the Cardinals' way. They're also number four in the league. If we look at EPA off of turnovers, that's a metric that friend of the show, Cleve TA, has been pulling this season. And the Browns on the other end of the spectrum at second worst in the league, just 31st in EPA off of turnovers. So, yes, the Cardinals have been good to start the season, but they've also gotten pretty fortunate. How do you reconcile some of these metrics that I've just mentioned with the fact that they are sitting at 5-0 and and that makes them look pretty appealing as the three-and-a-half-point underdog? Well, I guess I look at it from the perspective of what happens if you bet the uh, you started betting against the St. Louis Cardinals on their five-game winning streak because they were due to lose. And, uh, you, you know, 18 games late, you know, 13 games later, you know, they're still winning. So, it's a catch the falling knife. When do things turn around? You know, when is the perfect storm? You know, you can only lose once betting with what's happening. If you try to predict that the opposite's going to happen, well, you can keep on doing that week after week after week. And that's how I made great money last week betting against Kansas City and uh, going with some other teams where they just kept on doing the same thing week after week after week. And people were expecting the other thing to happen. You know, that's that's the best answer I can give you. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far off track with this game. But as you say that, I immediately think about the fact that you are on the Ravens this week and the Chargers are that team that's been really streaky. And a lot of the talk is that they're running, again, unsustainably hot in some high leverage moments. So I guess, again, it seems like there there must be other factors for being in play on the Ravens. I mean, you, you are betting against a pretty streaky team and the Chargers, but it seems like you want to stay away from betting against the streaky team and back betting on the streaking Arizona Cardinals here. I would say that the decision on those types of streaks is a support issue more than anything else. It's it's an it's it's more than an afterthought. It's 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 something that you look at and that you're aware of, but to make it a primary handicapping concern, forget it. Yeah, understood. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there too no, much, no, but I think that's a fascinating peek behind the curtain at the mind of a pro better. I mean, you you make a good living doing this, so I think that's valuable insight for the audience. And Scott, I want to get your take on this one too. Um, again, the ground game could be a really decisive factor. So how do you think the showdown between the Cardinals and Browns is going to shake out on Sunday? Well, I, I first of all, I played this total under 54 on Monday. That's obviously long gone now. You know, I make the number about 49. So the number is kind of where it, where it's at. Although that does not tack, 
factor in the fact that there's a win. So, you know, maybe you bump that down a little bit. I went under last week, and um, thankfully, neither teams uh, individually scored more than the total in that Brown Charger game, but uh, they scored 89 points and ruined my under 48 and a half. So that never had a chance. But kind of the same philosophy here, where I think Cleveland can run the ball in Arizona. Yes, Chubb is out, but I think Kareem Hunt obviously is very, very good. Um, look, Cleveland averages 5.4 yards a rush. Arizona gives up 5.4 yards a rush. The success for Cleveland here, to me, is going to come via the run, uh, and then obviously play action maybe factors into that. Uh, I make the number about 3, 3.3 here. That factors in Rodney Hudson being out. Uh, I'm not playing Cleveland. And let's look at Cleveland here. Who have they beat this year? They beat Houston 31-21, Chicago 26-6, and the Vikings 14-7. They lost to Kansas City and lost to the Chargers, the two good teams that they played. Uh, and I look at Arizona's schedule pretty good here, right? I mean, they've, they've beaten some, de some teams, uh, the Rams. Uh, I guess I look at it. They've really only beaten the Rams that are a really good team. But still, um, I'm not interested in getting uh, in front of Arizona here and taking Cleveland. I will say this, though. Arizona does qualify in a decent situation that plays against teams coming off a good home performance going in the road. So there is something there. Maybe maybe that letdown is coming because of that situation, which historically has been pretty good. But I lean under here and really no value uh, for me on the side. You know, this is one of those games that just annoys the heck out of me because it's the entire planet's on Cleveland, and it's one of those games where if Cleveland wins, you know, it, it's like you never hear the end of it. How the hell could anybody not have seen this? It was the easiest game in the world. And then if Cleveland doesn't win, it's like, boy, I didn't see that coming, you know, and then they move on. It's, it's like you'll never get credit for being I, – I, you don't just sit there and go against people for the sake of going people. I'm on Arizona because of the solid metrics. Uh, but, boy, it's tough to be in these situations when you're, you're on the other side and all you do is hear how easy it is from everybody all week long. So it's like you get tortured even extra. And then you get the I told you so is afterward. But in it's, so even if you win, you were tortured the whole week placing that bet. And then it's a quick move on if you if you end up winning. But you, you cash. Well, hey, Chris, I think it speaks to. Let's say you lose this bet, right? You, your metrics are good. You've been successful with it. So may, maybe you've done this long enough to, to have faith in this regardless. But when everyone's on one side, you're on the other side, and then you lose that bet, what if this situation comes up next week again? Do you bail on that, right? And that's that's just a mind game from a sports betting standpoint that you have to deal with, right? You have to stay convicted, uh, disciplined, and believe in your process. You create a process you think's good. You believe in it. And if you're right, that thing's going to work out over the long haul. But as betters, this is what you get challenged with every single week, yeah. and it plays with your mind, and it's tough to stay on track sometimes when that, especially if you lose three or four of these, right? You're going to be really tested in that. and Which you're going to. Thing. Yeah, you're exactly, going. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, speaking of the mind game, moving on to the next game on our board, it might take some mental gymnastics to make heads or tails of this one. We've got the Raiders taking on the Broncos in Denver. The Broncos steamed up to a four-point favorite. That's a pretty recent move off of the three-and-a-half, total 43-and-a-half. And, Chris, uh, a lot of questions about the Raiders' coaching situation. What do you make of that dynamic as it pertains to this game? I, You know what? I don't know what to make out of the dynamic. Uh, usually you'll see a uh, one- to two-game boost in a situation like this with the effort. Uh, I really feel the Raiders – quit last week they were just a no-show against Chicago and that bothers me uh they started out the first three games like gangbusters 
And these last two games have been big disappointments. And how can I expect them to turn it back on, even with the new coach boost? I can't. So, and Denver, they started off their first three games against weak competition. And, you know, they folded like a paper napkin in two, you know, the last two weeks. They came back and had a remote chance of beating Pittsburgh last week, but they farted away the whole first half. So, you know, there's trouble in paradise in Denver also. So for me, I, I feel like this is a dog or pass situation. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have an investment in this game. I, I, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, same here. I think the Raiders are such a wild card this week. I'm happy to sit back and try to learn a little bit about this team as they move on again with a new interim head coach. But Scott, what do you make of this big AFC West showdown? Two teams that might be heading in the wrong direction, but still some pretty good records and a lot to play for. Yeah, I, the total is basically spot on for me. I do show a little value with Denver. Both these teams, though, have below average offenses by my metrics and actually above average defenses, which is kind of weird to say for the Raiders, but um, but that's where they are. And, it, you know, I show value in Denver, but do I want to lay points with Denver? Uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, the only and the only comment on the coaching thing, uh, I you know, I heard some people this week who are very well in tune with the league and the coaches and stuff. And uh, we'll see what we get out of this. But this guy, uh, the special teams coach that they have running the team now, uh, very highly respected in the league. Uh, a no BS guy, um, a, a motivator. We'll see what comes from that. The downside is, you know, I, I never loved Gruden as a play caller, but I'm not sure Greg Olson's actually better than Gruden. So you could lose something there. But um, if this coach is a good leader, as you know, I kind of said on the Tuesday show, maybe they get a little bump here, but there's no play for me in this game. Yeah, I think it's a unanimous pass. Just so many unknowns as the Raiders head to Denver this weekend. But we've got some more known commodities and a pretty big showdown with the next game on our board. Dallas traveling to New England to take on the Patriots. The Cowboys, a road favorite, laying three with um, some heavy juice, minus 120. Attached to that minus three for the Cowboys, total at 50 and a half. That's been steamed to the over over the course of the past few days. And Scott, it seems like uh, there might be some good reason for that total steam when it comes to the way that Dallas offense can generate some big plays in the passing game. Yeah, they're Dallas top 10 in generating big pass plays. New England New England 11th worst in defending those uh, big pass plays. So uh, they could generate something here. There are some decent situations either going against Dallas or on New England here. But I made the number about five and a half. Um, and I made the total about 15 and a half. So it's kind of right on the number, basically. Um, so a little bit of value with Dallas here. Uh, actually, more than a little bit of value with Dallas. But the situation's favoring New England. I think New England's going to get a little bit healthier um, in, in terms of the offensive line, which will help them. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of this New England team. And Dallas does seem to be playing pretty well. And um, I don't know. If I had to do anything here, I would I would take Dallas. But it's it's no play for me in this game. And it sounds like you're really close to pulling the trigger on Dallas, especially as this number has continued to trickle down over the course of the week. Is there anything that could nudge you to go ahead and fire in a bet on the Cowboys? Well, I mean, uh, are we getting down to three right now in this at all? Yeah, it's three minus 120. Yeah, I mean, if we got under three, certainly, I think. Because I just, this Dallas team's not bad. And um, I just don't know how New England can score with them. And... We saw what New England did to Brady uh, on that Sunday night game, um, but I I'm not sure if they can duplicate that. And 
I, you know, you get a low number here. I just think Dallas is better equipped to um, to outscore them. They, I think they have a significantly better offense. And defensively, these two teams are somewhat comparable. So um, that, that lends the way. And again, I'll go back to this. Road teams, more explosive plays than the home team. Generally works out for the road team. And, you know, the stats right now show that they'll probably win that battle. I had to laugh when you said, I just don't know how they're going to be able to do anything against this Dallas defense. When you look back at our divisional previews, we were we had the Dallas defense completely written off, and uh, we thought the New England offense uh, offensive line was going to just be steamrolling people. <laughs> I know. It's funny how that changes pretty quickly, right? Yeah, so I pivoted on, the, on uh, these teams. I, I was really optimistic about New England at the start of the season, and uh, they just seemed to have their issues. And I wasn't very high on Dallas. And Dallas is fundamentally playing very well, all parts of the ball. Uh, you know, they finally have a defensive coordinator that can do his job. And uh, the offense is balanced. It's so balanced, it's scary. And they've got the two running backs. They've got the wide receivers. They have the whole program there. I mean, you know, as overpromoted as Dallas is year after year, they're pretty darn good. They're 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 probably underhyped at this point. So yeah, I so I, I show value here in Dallas, and I'm just letting the line sink because I think uh, 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 I think you know it, 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 it Dallas just isn't going to get the, the the great spot support here. You know, you've got the home Belichick dog uh, here, and New England's getting the support. But uh, for the show purposes. Uh, I'll take the Dallas, uh, add it to my playlist, minus uh, three, minus 120. All right, Chris, you and I, uh, I guess, not quite going head-to-head because -head I can't bet the Patriots at this number, but I, I would certainly lean their way, and I did take them earlier in the week when the number was a decent bit better for them. When I look at this one, um, we talked about EPA off of turnovers earlier. The Cowboys, number two in the league in that metric, and that could have them ripe for some regression. They have been good, but again, when there's that much good fortune, that tends to come back to earth at some point. Also, some injuries. Tyron Smith, a key cog on the offensive line, a surprise add to the injury report on Thursday for the Cowboys. So we'll try to keep a close eye on his status. Also, Diggs, a ball hawk on defense. It seems like he's getting an interception just you know about every other possession uh, when he steps on the field. So a couple big injuries to monitor for Dallas. I also think this has the makings of a buy low, sell high type of spot with the Cowboys. Uh, Scott, you touched earlier on the uh, on somebody who was coming off of three straight home games that might be overvalued. I think oh, it was the Vikings. The, the Vikings. Yeah, uh, the Cowboys. Same thing here off of pretty middling teams at that with the Eagles, Panthers and the Giants. So. Yes, the Cowboys have been very good. No disputing Chris's notion that they are firing on all cylinders. But I also think that uh, just the spot they've been put in in recent weeks uh, might be elevating their perception perhaps a tad too much. And on the Patriots side of things, that was an ugly win in Houston last week. But they were down four of their five starting offensive linemen. It's looking like they'll get at least a couple guys back this week. So uh, while the Patriots O-line has not impressed like we thought it would this season, getting some of their starters back could make a big difference. One more thing I'll add here. Um, I know we talked about the line being 3 minus 120 for Dallas. I'm logged in on BetUS right now, and I'm seeing it at a flat 3.5. So if you are interested in the Patriots side of things, um, again, you might want to go ahead and take advantage of that promo code and sign up at BetUS today using the promo code NFL2021. Take that 125% sign-up bonus, and you could get a number on the Patriots that's not available anywhere else in the marketplace as we record this. 
Uh, but just to get back, I'm I'm looking to see if if Diggs is going to be in or not. Number one, uh, I haven't placed a wager on this. Uh, and number two, uh, Dallas is at least road tested, unlike the you know Minnesota who didn't do well on the road. Uh, Dallas went in and beat the Chargers, and they should have beaten Tampa Bay on opening day. Yeah, yeah, well said. I think there's plenty to be said for both sides. And again, if, if somebody's on three and a half or better on the dog and you're laying through with the favorites, that's not necessarily going head to head when we're talking about getting on or off the three. Yeah. That does it for the Sunday late window. We've got two primetime games to get to to wrap up the week six board, starting with Sunday night football, the Seahawks traveling across the country to Pittsburgh and the Steelers laying five points, a low total of 42 and a half. And Chris, a big X factor in this one when it comes down to the Seahawks going at it without Russell Wilson. Well, how much is Russell Wilson worth? No, really, how much is he worth? Does anybody know? I mean, you know, this is one of the few instances where, you know, typically when you have a starting quarterback go out, there's usually like a three, you know, two to three, maybe four point uh, adjustment. But uh when it comes to Wilson, traditionally, the adjustment's been over a touchdown. It's, it's tough to gauge. But we did see Geno Smith come in and do a great uh, job in relief. And, uh, boy, he looked really serviceable. He didn't do anything wrong. i uh, sure the game ended on an inter- interception that really wasn't his fault. So, uh, But now Pittsburgh has time to prepare for Geno Smith, and we have a long track record of mediocrity. Uh, so it's really tough and unpredictable. Has Geno Smith learned something from being with Seattle? Uh, is, he, is, is something absorbed? And is he going to come back and, and, and pull a Fitzpatrick uh, uh, Miami situation? Or is he going to fold like a paper napkin? Uh, there's a lot of unknowns here. I, I, it's hard to put a, 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 a true value on the loss of Wilson because I don't think anybody thinks much of the rest of the team and thinks he's been carrying the team as it is. So, uh, and but. You can't trust Pittsburgh here either. Uh, this is, you know, if, if the line keeps on going up, I'm going to pop in on Seattle just because it's 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 closer to two bad teams, take the bad team plus the points. Yeah, Scott, the key question, Chris touched on it, just how much is Russell Wilson worth? And it seems like you've got some metrics that give you some pretty decent conviction on an answer to that all-important question in this one. I think he's worth about seven points. Now, obviously, if Geno Smith all of a sudden plays like he did last week, that would change. But uh, Russell Wilson was averaging eight yards a pass this year. Geno came in last week to what Chris said, averaged 7.7 yards a pass. He was actually pretty good. But historically, he has been at 5.7 yards a pass. Now, ironically, Russell Wilson, uh, historically, has been 6.7 yards a pass. So he was well exceeding uh, what his uh, average uh, over his career was. But he was still about one yard per pass better than what Geno Smith has, has been uh, for his career. So I think I think it's worth about seven points here. Um, and the other thing, you know, again, Pittsburgh's no great shakes here. But Seattle, fifth worst and highest percentage of sacks allowed. Pittsburgh, sixth best in applying pressure. They're going to have time to plan for Geno. They, I think they will put pressure on Geno. I think that could be problematic. I do kind of look at this Seattle team. They're kind of like the Packers. They lose Rodgers, and the team kind of falls apart a little bit. We may see a little bit of that as well with Geno Smith. If this line would go up to six, I have some other metrics that kind of identify if a play is a good teaser play or not, assuming we get in somewhat the right uh, uh, range of numbers. If this would go up to six, I would consider Pittsburgh in a teaser in this game. I make the number 5.3, project about 40 points, but I would consider Pittsburgh in a teaser if it went up. 
I know we've talked a lot over the early part of the season about teasing. Again, like a lot of people will say through the key numbers of three and seven. So when you mentioned looking at the Steelers, teasing them down if this hits six, um, what do you make of that as opposed to trying to uh, keep in mind the value of, of really teasing when you can cross through the key number of seven as well? Well, I think it's two things, uh, and it's a good point, Matt. You you want to look at, okay, if I'm laying 120 in a six-point teaser, what percentage do I need to win? And I'm, I'm just looking. I don't know if I have my teaser sheet here or not. Uh, I don't think I have it in front of me. But It's like um, 73%. Yeah, I mean, that's what you need to win, right? And, and if you're teasing six points, you're, you're, you know, from a six down to pick them and not crossing over those numbers, you're not technically probably in a plus EV situation there. But I do have other metrics that I look at that get me up closer to about an 80% success rate. Uh, and the matchup in this game favors that and, and suggests that this would be a good teaser play, even though it's six down there. Now, as Chris has pointed out before as well, on a six, you don't necessarily need to do a teaser. A money line parlay, especially if you have two teams at six, might be the better option. Because I And again, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but it you're probably closer to about a... Um, you know, a 110 kind of rate uh, on, on two money line parlay as opposed to a 120 that you lay on a teaser. So that's another option when you have a number around this neighborhood. Yeah, when the money line uh, hits around the 265 area, that's when you're going to be teeter-tottering between uh, playing money lines and teasers. Yep, exactly. We had one more follow-up to this potential of teasing the Steelers. You mentioned if it gets up to six, you'd want to take them down. But, of course, that would be taking them down to pick them, which, you know, that zero is pretty meaningless with the, you know, very minimal probability of seeing a tie in this one or any NFL game for that matter. So if we just see a tick up to five and a half, um, that, that could, you know, still get you about the same amount of value. But are you, are you drawing a line at six being the point you need to really give strong consideration to that teaser? Well, it's interesting you say that. And I looked, uh, I was looking this morning, five and a half point favorites are only winning the game straight up. Uh, and this was going back to 1983. I didn't check it more recently where the scoring has obviously changed slightly because of the extra points and stuff, but they're only winning the game about 65% of the time. Uh, so I kind of stopped there because that's that's pretty low, right? Compared to what we know we need. Chris had just kind of said closer to 73%. So um, from that standpoint, it didn't look like five and a half was, was real favorable. Um, so I don't think I'd pursue that because I was again, thinking that like maybe a money line parlay. Now, again, you don't necessarily have to be at 73% because the money line parlay is probably going to be a, a lower money line, of course, but, um, I don't think I would entertain it at the five and a half. Got it. Yeah. And I think I'm just not going to entertain a bet on this one altogether. I can't lay it with the Steelers offense and I'm in no rush to back Geno Smith. I know he looked pretty good in spots when forced into action last Thursday night, but that was also largely against the Rams defense in prevent mode. So going to stay away from this one. My only point, something I'll be looking out for at the Seahawks defense, not very highly regarded in the first place, but they're due for some third down regression. The last two weeks, they've held their opponents to just four of 24. That's only 17%. So if the Steelers can convert third downs at a higher rate, it might get ugly before it gets better for the Seahawks. That'll do it for our Sunday night breakdown. We've got one more primetime game to go and a lot of action for the three of us in this one. The Bills traveling to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Buffalo laying six at reduced VIG. Total 53 and a half. And Chris, I'm kind of scared to say it, but you and I going head to head on the sides in this one. Well, you know, this is just uh, this is just a cookie cutter type situation where people are looking at Buffalo, who's, who's coming off their 
quote, huge Super Bowl-like win against Kansas City where they just whumped them. You can't possibly look any better. And now they have to go on the road and play in Tennessee and get up for yet another game. And this is just a classic spot where you're supposed to take Tennessee. They're the home team. They're getting uh, six points. And it's as if people don't realize that these situationals, like, you know, long road trips and uh, uh, sandwich spots and letdown games and look-ahead games are not already factored into these lines. It's like people think, oh, I, I'm, I'm the only one handicapping this, and this is the angle we play. This stuff's already in the line. Trust me, these teams are not six points apart, okay? It's not even close. And if you want to guess when a team's going to show up and when a team is not going to show up, good luck doing it. I follow the numbers, and it's and if, the, if Buffalo lays a turd sandwich on Monday night, okay, fine. But I'm not going to be the prognosticator to try to guess when Tennessee shows up and when they don't and when Buffalo has a letdown game. I have to play the numbers because it's already factored in to the line in the first place that it's supposed to be a letdown game. There's no way this line would be under seven otherwise. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in and go the other way with the Titans. And to be clear, it has nothing to do with the notion of a letdown spot for Buffalo. I've heard a lot of people on Tennessee using that narrative but, you know, to the, you know, Bill's defense, this is a Monday night game. They're going to be playing on primetime TV. They have extra rest off of Sunday night last week. So I don't see how it's really a letdown spot in that sense. And let's not forget, almost a year ago to the day, they got their doors blown off in Tennessee. So there's also the revenge narrative. I, I tend not to make much of revenge narratives or letdown spot narratives. So it, it's kind of just a wash to me. So by no means am I on Tennessee because of any, you know, sense of a Buffalo letdown being around the corner. And also, I feel like I can already hear Bill's Mafia just blasting me on the YouTube comment section from this game clip. And I want to be clear. I I do think the Bills are the best team in the league, and I take nothing away from the way they've started the season. To me, though, this is a classic case of looking at numbers, not teams. And and in my eyes, the six makes it worth getting in play on the Titans because when I look at the Bills, one of the first things that stands out, they're plus 11 in turnovers so far this season. The next best team in the league is plus seven. That's a huge gap between number one and the rest of the pack in the NFL. Um, Again, Chris, to your point, we had a discussion earlier. You can't always predict exactly when this regression is going to come. So I can't say with certainty that this is the game that it shows up. But I can say with a high level of confidence that before too long, it is going to at least regress in the direction of the mean. So turnover luck could be a big factor here. Also, the way these teams match up, the Bills, I think, are generally optimal defensively to encourage the opposition to run, but that could be playing with fire with the Titans ground game led by Derrick Henry. And aside from the ground game, just through the passing game for the Titans, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones coming back, so that gives them a lot more to work with in the passing game than we've seen from them in recent weeks. Altogether, I'm not excited to step in front of a possible runaway train with the Buffalo Bills. I have a lot of respect for their start to the season. I think they're on the fast track to the number one seed. But this point spread can be the great equalizer, and to me, that's enough to get in play on the Titans. Scott, hey. I know you've got – oh, yeah, not not just uh, the side here. You're going to close out your teaser you mentioned earlier with Carolina, plus a bet on the total. Yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, Bill's Mafia, I have your back here. Uh, you know, that that game they got blown out last, last year, both teams averaged 5.4 yards of play. 
The Bills were 3-0, negative turnover. They turned it over three times deep inside their territory where Tennessee took the ball, and I don't have it in front of me, you know, at the 12, 25, and 30-yard line and turned all three of those into touchdowns. So um, there's a little bit of that. I used to follow turnovers a lot from a regression standpoint, but what I did find out was the really, really, really good teams, they don't as much regress maybe as, as some of the teams that maybe are just doing it very well um, uh, and, and from a turnover margin standpoint that maybe aren't as good. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, and, and Julio Jones coming back is big. A.J. Brown, from a yards per route standpoint, has not been great this year. But Julio Jones has been. Um, but I saw what I needed to see last week from, uh, from Buffalo in that defense. That is, you know, as Chris mentioned earlier, that Kansas City offense is very good. And Buffalo was very good, I think, defensively against them. And, you know, Tennessee, they allow a whole bunch of sacks. Uh, Buffalo is very good at getting the quarterback. They can't create big pass plays. Now, some of that, they haven't had their receivers, so we'll, we'll give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt there. But Buffalo doesn't allow big pass plays. Uh, Tennessee, they're bad in net offensive success rate. Tennessee, uh, Buffalo, very good defensively. So you got a lot of these things where Buffalo is very good, where Tennessee is bad. That adds up. I make this number about 8.4 points in favor of Buffalo, and that's factoring Julio coming back. So I think it is a very good teaser play. Um, and Tennessee this year has faced the 31st, 29th, 28th, 21st, and 18th worst defenses by my metrics, um, and now they're going to face the top defense in the league. When they faced the two best defenses that they faced this year, which were the 21st and, tw and 18th worst defenses, they only scored 13 and 24 points. Again, one of those games, they didn't have their receivers, uh, so I'm respective of that. But I just don't know how they get to a ton of points in this game. And I think Buffalo can get enough points here to win the game. But that also plays into the total. I make the total about 50 points here. I think there's a little bit of value on the under here. Um, and it, that is strictly more than anything, just a, a numbers play, uh, my numbers versus what the total is. So I like Buffalo in the teaser and I like him uh, in the under as well. Yeah, I, you know, I did. I should mention this. I've been 10 years, 10, 11 years of my metrics. I've never had a team rated at the number I have it rated, uh, the, the, and it's not even close. Uh, Buffalo is playing both sides of the ball like I've never seen a team play in, in the 10, 11 years I've been running my model. So, uh, again, it anything can happen in one game, and they may crash down to earth, but they spent their their offseason – addressing their specific needs and they and uh, apparently they did a darn good job yeah uh if tennessee just gets blown out on this one i can't say you guys didn't tell me uh, well, and, that, and, no, oh, and, and matt i'll look i mean if this is a spot as chris said earlier this is a spot for tennessee to to, to come come to play and and if they win this game i'm not shocked i mean because the situation is set up for them but I just I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I will say, and I know your play, Matt, was not based on um, a, a letdown or anything, uh, but I think McDermott is a hell of a coach. And, you know, from I think that adds to, you know, he'll have them ready, and I don't think he'll let them let down, but who knows, right? It, it is it is the perfect situation for him. I, I just don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. The margin between winning and losing is so much closer than people realize for every single game. I mean, if you really look at, all the games every week, there's every single week, there's just games that you just never expected this to happen or that shouldn't have happened or just certain things send a game one direction or the other. 
you don't have a lot of room for error, and you can end up looking really bad sometimes, even though you might have had the good right handicap, you know, some way somehow. You just don't know. So you just, yeah. you just. You just have to follow your system and stick with it, and you're going to look like a hero sometimes, and you're going to look like an idiot other times. Yeah, well, speaking of standing by your convictions, at this point, I think we're at a good stage to get into a recap of our best bets for the week. So we've got a full-screen graphic to pull up for the YouTube audience, and we can see, uh, again, of course, Chris and I going head-to-head -head on that Monday night game. Chris laying the six with Buffalo, myself taking the six with Tennessee, Chris also taking the points with the Jags plus three, laying two and a half with Baltimore, taking three and a half with Arizona. And if you listened carefully to our breakdown on the Patriots-Cowboys game, another side that Chris has decided to jump in on. I'm on a total as well as the Titans plus six. I'm looking at the Chargers-Ravens game to go over 51 and a half. And Scott has a two-team teaser, the Panthers plus eight paired with the Bills down to pick them. The Rams and Giants over 48 and a half and the Bills and Titans under 53 and a half that's what we've got for everybody for week six those are the picks thanks for joining us today for those of you watching us on youtube one more time please go ahead and give us a quick thumbs up subscribe to the channel and jump in the comments with your thoughts on any of our bets and if you disagree or hopefully you agree with some of them as well you can get in play yourself by signing up today at bet us using the promo code nfl2021 to collect a 125 percent sign up bonus and whichever way you play things this weekend, best of luck with your week six action. We'll be back with you live on Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific. That'll be our early look at week seven.